Hi, I'm your host, Brittany Spence, and this is In the Face of Illness. We are a podcast committed to cultivating a greater understanding of the many resources available for families facing childhood illness, because we believe this is a vital topic of conversation, not only for families in the throes of the fight, but for everyone. Ultimately, we are here to offer hope in the face of illness. Angela Hamblin Kelly is the executive director of the Kimmins Wilson Family Center for Good Grief with Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Angela is a licensed clinical social worker trained specifically in the field of death and dying. She received her undergraduate degree in social work from the University of Memphis and graduate degree in social work from the University of Tennessee. She developed and directs the Kimmins Wilson Family Center for Good Grief in Collierville, Memphis, and Jonesboro the only comprehensive grief centers in the Mid-South that provides free grief counseling for children, teens, and adults who are grieving the death of a loved one. As part of the grief center, Angela also developed and directs the Camp Good Grief programs for children and teens. After the tragedy of September 11th, Angela served as a consultant to Schneider Children's Hospital in Long Island, New York, where a program modeled after Camp Good Grief was developed. She also assisted Hospice of Central Peninsula in Alaska develop a children's grief camp modeled after Camp Good Grief. Angela is the author of What's So Good About Grief Anyway. Angela has also developed several grief activities for children that have been published for other professionals to use in practice. She is a recipient of several community awards, including Top 40 Under 40, Healthcare Hero Finalist, An Angel in Our Midst, and 50 Women Who Make a Difference. We are so excited to have Angela Hamblin Kelly here with us today. Angela, thanks for being here and spending time with us today on our podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here. So tell us a little bit about where you work and what your role is. Sure. I'm the executive director for the Baptist Centers for Good Grief. Uh, Within the Baptist Centers for Good Grief, we have three locations, um, two in Memphis and one in Jonesboro, Arkansas. And we provide free grief counseling to children, teens, and adults who are grieving the death of a loved one um, in their life. So we provide individual grief support, grief groups, grief camps, uh, grief seminars, uh, a variety of programs throughout the year. And the Forcements Fund works very closely with y'all. We, we send quite a few of our families uh, to your centers, and um, we are so grateful and thankful for what y'all do and the impact that you are making in our community and beyond. And so I just want to start there saying how truly thankful and grateful for, for what y'all are doing. You are meeting a need that really was not being met here in this community, and we're just so thankful for that. How long have you personally been practicing? So I've been here with Baptist since 1999. Um, I came on board uh, with the goal to start our Camp Good Grief programs. Um, Then that grew into needing to put walls around our program and have center where we could provide that individual counseling uh, Monday through Friday. So um, our first grief center opened in 2005, and we have expanded um, continuously since then as well. Wow. Okay. So first it started more of... Someone at Baptist obviously saw the need and said, we need this camp, really? Is that kind of how it started? So when did the camp first start? 
So it started through our hospice program. So in the late 90s within our hospice program, we had a lot of patients and families uh, with HIV AIDS. And so we had a lot of young families. And so at that time, we looked out into the community to find a place to refer these families, these grieving children, and there was just not a resource available. So we went to the Baptist Memorial Healthcare Foundation and we submitted a grant so that we could start Camp Good Grief, a children's grief camp um, in the summer to allow grieving children to come together, to heal, to work on their grief, to have fun, but to also do a lot of grief work. And so that our first camp started in 1999. Wow, that is truly amazing. I didn't quite know it had been that many years going on. So you opened your doors out in Carterville, correct? That was the first place? In 2005, we opened our first grief center in the 240 area of Poplar on Crest Haven. Um, And so we had a small center there that we just quickly outgrew. We also knew that our community needed um, a hospice house. That had been something um, really um, in our plans for a long time, and it made sense to kind of build those together. So in 2010, we completed construction and we moved into the grief center um, in the Collierville campus, the Kimmons Wilson Family Center for Good Grief. And then we expanded into two additional centers, and we're really excited to announce that we're going to be breaking ground here in the next few months on an addition on our Collierville campus to really allow more programming. Um, We're going to be building what we're calling the cottage, and the purpose of the cottage is to bring people together um, to do large groups, um, to do more of our camps on site for children, teens, and adults, to be able to have that retreat type setting, uh, to do family workshops, family fun nights. Uh, we have a lot of great programming ahead. That is amazing. That is just incredible news for sure to have even more space and, uh, an area for everybody to go. Um, and then your location, that's more in the East Memphis Midtown area. Tell me a little bit about that one. Yeah, so we opened Milla's house and Milla's house is named after Milla Gieselman. Um, And when Milla died, her parents and her family wanted to do something uh, to give back to the Centers for Good Grief, but also to remember Milla and to let her continue to have a lasting legacy um, on the community at large. So Milla's house is our Midtown location. And then we have a location in Jonesboro, Arkansas as well. That's really, truly amazing. Um, and like I said, we've seen the the fruits of y'all's labor again and again for the families that we work with. Um, and I know that often people look at grief in different ways, that there's also grief of loss of a divorce. There's grief of, you know, loss of a, a job or a family unit, unit, but y'all really focus on the grief of a loss of a loved one. So it's focusing on is it any loved one? Does it have to be a close loved one? How, how does that work? Our services are provided for those who are grieving the death of a loved one. And that loved one is whatever that means to that person. Um, so we've worked with um, children and teens who've had a classmate die. Um, we've worked with people of all ages who've had, you know, different people in their lives die, but it's more about uh, what that person uh, meant to them and the impact they had on their life. Um, Grief is not always um, a loving relationship either. So we do a lot of work with folks who maybe the person who died um, 
was abusive or there was a bad relationship or maybe, you know, they never even really got to connect with that person, maybe due to incarceration and that person died and things like that. So um, grief does take on many, many different faces. Mm -hmm, For sure. And so how many counselors do y'all have total across all three centers? We have uh, 12 counselors across all three centers. Um, I also see clients uh, just because I'm passionate about it. And I I believe that that's important to do so. um, But I have a great staff um, and we see about five people a day, each counselor. Um, We also have, as I mentioned, grief groups and seminars uh, throughout the weeks and months. And those are facilitated by the counselors as well. Okay. And do they, do you follow a certain you know, let's just do example of ours. You know, we will send you a family that we've heard about that we've, uh, you know, followed their journey or been a part of their journey and they've lost their child. And so we send them on and they, you know, do appointments with y'all. Do you typically find that it's a, a certain amount of appointments? Do you, is it really per family, per client, you know, how it works best for them? Do y'all just go case by case? Yes, it's very individualized here, but mainly people start off by calling themselves. They don't um, have to have a referral. We do an intake with them uh, to learn more about them, to learn more about their the needs of their family. Um, and then we move from there. Our Memphis offices, we do have a waiting list that is uh, something that we work every day, um, but that is a reality for um, our locations here. Um, and then it's really based on the needs of that individual person that we're seeing. Um, usually people start off kind of being seen about every two weeks for a while. Then they might, after a while, um, be seen monthly. Uh, then we might sort of see them every two months, um, really just based on their needs. Some people come four or five times. They have good support. They just need um, some grief education. They need a place of expression. Um, to, to quote some clients, what they say is I needed to make sure I wasn't going crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that might be all they need, while others may really be grieving um, and have a lot of additional trauma or complicated grief. And we may um, walk with them in their grief longer, you know, maybe a year, maybe two years. Uh, we've had children who've had to testify in court. We walk that journey with them. And so, yes, it's very individualized. That's one of the things I'm the most proud of. Yes, for sure. Um, and, and just even in, in my own journey, you know, one of the things I felt so passionate about working with my counselor is that he normalized for me the feelings and thoughts that I had. And so it wasn't, you know, when I said to him, you know, uh, it's hard for me to, you know, um, go to a baby shower and experience that and, and know that I you know, don't have this baby with me, or it was hard for me to see babies be baptized, or um, I had a really difficult time going to Walmart and um, seeing some mamas get really angry with their children in Walmart and just really grieving that I didn't, you know, in my selfish way thinking I would not yell at my child like that. I would not scream at my child like that but I don't have my child here. And, and so often just sitting with my counselor and him saying, those are all normal feelings. Those are normal feelings to feel the way you do, to feel angry, to feel sad, to feel, you know, betrayed, disappointed, whatever it may be. Um, And then we also see often in grief too, that it, it becomes more than just the grief 
over the loss, it becomes relationships with others. How do you deal with that? I felt like I really lost the ability to do small talk well. Um, I really struggled with just how's the weather and what'd you do this weekend? Because I just kind of wanted to shoot, I mean, shout from the, the rooftops, my son died. I don't want to talk about the weather. I don't want to know that you're you know, your fruit went bad this weekend and that you did this. I want, I want deep, meaningful conversations and not everybody wants to go deep real quick. And so I think those were all very helpful for me too to just be able to work through those things and have a safe place to say the things that I felt and thought and to know that it was safe and okay for me to say. And so what a gift that y'all are able to provide that for these families. Well, thank you. Grief, you know, is certainly the most universal experience in our lifetime. No matter where you live, no matter who you are, what you have, what you don't have, grief is truly universal. Um, Even though it's so universal, it's one of the topics that most people just will not touch or go there. Um, And that's just because of it's so personal, but also because of the intensity of the emotions. And a lot of times when we're fresh in grief, those emotions are so intense. Maybe we've never had intensity like this before and everything about us feels so different. So um, abnormal, you know, we just are so aware that we are not who we were before. And I think that is the beautiful part of grief counseling is being able to sit with a therapist who is trained, um, who can listen, who can hear all of those little intricate pieces of your story, because they're all part of the loss. You know, we lose this person we can see, touch and feel, but we lose so much more. We lose part of ourselves, um, part of our identity. We lose part of our future, our hopes and our dreams, um, our security just about the world in general. There's so much tied up in the death of a person that we can see, touch and feel. And I think that's one of the benefits of grief counseling is to be able to just sit in your grief, acknowledge your grief. And that's really um, what we see for folks. You know, even our clients know that they can come back, Um, you know, especially children, uh, but really all ages. But children are going to grieve differently at six and then at 12. So it's not uncommon for our kids to come back and see us for check-in appointments as they get older. Mm -hmm. The same thing with adults, you know, Um, we may um, agree upon a discharge and two years later, something may occur. um, It triggers that grief and they know they can come back. And that's, that's part of grief is knowing that we are moving forward with our grief. We're not, um, getting to some sort of uh, resolution and moving, you know, on without the grief, the grief moves on with us. And so it's our goal to really help people reconcile that instead of having a resolution. Yeah. Yeah. And when I meet with families who have lost a child, I always tell them, you know, some of the things that really took me by surprise that I wasn't expecting is when we had our second child and he started meeting milestones that Forrest had not met. I remember the very first one of him rolling over. And I remember truly rejoicing in that moment that he had just rolled over. And then I completely broke down the kind where you're like rocking, mm-hmm. not doing okay, because it, the grief hit me so unbelievably hard that Forrest 
never got those milestones or those moments. And it took me so by surprise that I was feeling the way I did because I would have just thought I'll rejoice because he's healthy and doing well and getting to do all these things. And I, the fear. And so often when I meet with families who have lost a child and then are, are, you know, having another, another child, another baby, I'll say that I just want you to be aware that that's normal if it does happen and it's okay. And you're going to be okay. It didn't take away from that. I was so thrilled that Austin rolled over and was doing these milestones. Um, I found too, I did counseling very religiously uh, for right about 10 months, um, about every week. Uh, I started to then go, I think every two and then had Austin was just very wrapped up in the new baby and all the things and then started to see some trends of not doing as healthy as I wanted. And so went back and then again, felt like I was doing better. And um, I remember when Forrest would have been about eight, I was really, really struggling and it, it really took me by surprise. And I was struggling that I was struggling why am I not doing okay? I, I now have three more beautiful, healthy children. My marriage survived. I've, you know, we're doing well. We're in a better place. And for me, it was this, I had lost the known. I had for so long, I could always imagine what Forrest would be like. I could imagine that he would, you know, at, at one, about one to 18 months, every child starts, you know, every child that's that doesn't have other things going on, but starts to walk. Okay. Around two, we start to talk around three, we start to run. And, and so it was, I could very much see that. And around when he would have been eight, my, my next son was turning seven and I started to see his little personality. My second son be not what I could, what I chose for him or I put in front of him. He started to like things and it really started to hit me that I no longer could envision exactly what Forrest would be doing or what he'd be like or what he'd look like or what he'd act like or his loves or his likes or his dislikes. And I found that I really needed assistance. I really needed help working through that and grieving that, grieving the unknown and what that, you know, looked like. And that's still a struggle 14 years later of, you know, the unknown, the what would he like? What would he not like? You know, I have three other children that are very different. And so, you know, my encouragement to families is who are walking this road is to not think that there is a check, I've done it and I'm going to be okay. To be in tune and aware of knowing there are going to be peaks and valleys and there are going to be some very low moments where you need help. And that's okay. And that's what y'all are for. That's what other counselors in the community are for is to help them navigate right. those times where, you know, they're, they're really struggling because it is a, it is a journey for the rest of your life when you've lost someone that you love. It's not a, okay, I should be past that. It is a constant, right. you know, figuring that out. And what is, you know, what does that look like? Unfortunately, that's kind of the opposite of, of how our culture operates, you know, um, uh, and a lot of times people will call and they'll say, okay, tell me what to do. I, I want you to tell me what to do. And 
you know, sometimes there's a little bit of a letdown when we kind of give them that talk about what this process is going to be like. And a lot of that's just because it is the emotions are so intense. And I, we have a need as people to, I want to feel better, help me feel better. And helping people know um, that grief is um, really a part of who they are now. It's not just a chapter in the past, but it now um, illustrates every chapter moving forward, but that you can also have a bright, beautiful, wonderful life. And that's what we want for people. You know, I'll tell the kids I work with, I want you to have a bright, wonderful future. And I want you to remember your mom. And we're going to learn how to do both of those things. And that's how we have a healthy life. But that's really um, the opposite of our culture. And so, um, you know, that's that's a battle sometimes we have uh, with to battle with our clients is to help them navigate kind of what the culture tells us, maybe what other people in their family are telling them, you know, kind of those buck up messages or, you know, be grateful for this kind of a message and, and remind people that, that grief is real. And that's actually something we say here. We have a saying, grief is real. Grief is big. Grief is better shared. And that's what I think it helps people is to understand that, okay, grief is something real. It's, this is a real thing. I'm experiencing this because of love, because I love someone and grief Mm -hmm. is big. So it's not something that can just be conquered in a day. And how do I do that? It's through shared experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but it's hard. I mean, grief work is hard. I've, I've told people before they've asked me, well, how hard is this going to be? And I'll say, okay, I think the hardest job in Memphis is people who are on like 240 laying asphalt in August. (laughs) Yeah. Like to me, that's the hardest job. Right. It's, it's miserable. Like my body can feel it. My head can feel everything. Well, that's grief because grief is a whole body experience. You know, we're going to, we're going to experience it physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and behaviorally. And it's not just something that can be run through in, you know, 10 minutes and, and get over. Right. Um, So, right. And it's something in all of our lifetimes that we're going to face. And, you know, you know, when we talk about losing a child, uh, you know, even say like, there's a word for when you lose your spouse, you're a widow. There's a word for when you lose your parents, you're an orphan. There is not a word when you lose, when you lose your child. And so that is not the norm to have to bury your child before you, but nine out of 10 people, maybe even more are going to bury one of their parents, if not both of their parents. Um, And so Grief is something that you're going to face. And um, in my instance, I lost my son 14 years ago and I lost my mom two and a half years ago. And she was young and, um, you know, much sooner than I would have ever wanted to lose her. But because of the grief work that I had done with my son, it didn't necessarily make it easier to lose my mother, but it allowed me to more deeply sit in my grief Mm -hmm. and to feel my grief and to process my grief and to take days just to be really sad and to take days to be mad and to take days to even this past Halloween, I I got emotional. And one of my other sons later said, um, 
So I was emotional in the car listening to a song. And then we got somewhere later and I was acting silly and kind of funny and whatever. And, and he's 13 and he was like, man, mom, sometimes I just don't get you. He was like, I mean, you can be all over the place with your moods sometimes. It's hard to know you were crying earlier in the car and now you're all over. And I said, buddy, that's okay. It's okay for me to be sad and to grieve. And and then it's okay for me to be happy and to rejoice and be excited. Y'all love Halloween, but Halloween's hard on mommy because it's the only holiday I sent, I spent with Forrest. And it's a holiday that my mom, their Gigi, loved to celebrate. She loved doing their costumes and making cupcakes that were black icing and would churn their poop colors. I mean, she just loved it all. <laughs> and so I was grieving that that day. And he even said, when I saw you crying, I didn't know if you were sad for Forrest or for Gigi. And I said, buddy, I'm sad for both. And that's okay. It's okay because one of the things I don't want is for my children. I want my children to see that it's okay to be sad and to sit in your sadness, but to also know that that joy and and sadness go together. You cannot have joy without sadness. And beauty from ashes, that grief, you know, I, I grieve because of how much I loved my son and my mom. And so deep grief, comes from deep love. And so I want them to see that too, where I feel like in my culture being raised in the eighties and the nineties, it was a buck up, you know, you don't get to be sad for very long. Let's get up and get after them. Um, and, you know, nowadays, thankfully that culture, I do think is shifting and shifting it to is. mental health is so important. And it's important to take care of yourself in your mental health. Um, I think it could do more and go farther and yeah. we could talk about it more. But that's why I'm very passionate, too, about speaking people like you and what you do and the difference that y'all are making and being very open and vulnerable about my own grief and saying, yes, it's been 14 mm -hmm. years. People, right. Some people probably think I should be past my grief. And I am each and every day getting up and loving life and being happy and very grateful for what God has given me. Three more beautiful children, a husband that I adore, a job that I love, a passion in what I'm doing. But it doesn't take away from how much I miss my son or my mom. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and that's, a, like you said, that is a shifting culture of, mm -hmm. no, I'm not going to say, pick up by your bootstraps and let's be okay. Right. Let's talk about how it's hard. Let's talk about being sad. Um, and also even trying to tell people there's no measure. Yes, I lost a son, but you lost your mom. We are both. There's no one's higher or lower, one's worse or not. No. The, the sudden death versus right. the long journey. You know, people ask right. me all the time, do you think it's harder to you know, lose a baby that you didn't get to have many years with, or do you think it's harder to lose a child? I would never compare that. I would never, no. because they're, they're completely different. And so they're unique you know, I, in their own ways. Right, right. Just like a, you know, mother who's 68 versus a mother who's 92. It's mm -hmm. unbelievably mm -hmm. hard to say goodbye. Um, well, what do you think, um, why should families that we interact with who have chronically ill children with often 
um, have received some bad news um, or who have lost a child, why do you feel like it's in the best interest for them to see a counselor? You know, I think it's just always good to have a space for yourself to be able to talk to a non-biased person um, just about where you are, how you're coping with this news that's been given, this, you know, life altering. This is not the the path that people set out on that they think they're going to, you know, have. They they sort of see and vision their life in a different way. And so when it takes a turn with chronic illness or terminal illness, you know, having a place where um, the guard can come down, you can be yourself, genuinely yourself, and talk about where you are, how you're coping. I think counseling is one of the greatest things that a person can give themselves just in terms of non-biased time to just think about where am I? How am I coping with what is coming at me in life right now? Um, Unfortunately, you know, it just has so many other stigmas, but when you think about it that way, it's really just the best gift someone can give to themselves. But also when they're in such a life altering place in life, just to be able to slow down and have that time and to say, let me think through this. Let me feel because as a parent um, with a chronically ill or terminally ill child, there's a thousand other things that they have to do all the time. So to be able to stop and have a little time where they can just focus on them, um, that's really critically important to their functioning as an individual. They're functioning within a marriage and they're also they're functioning within a family of caring for their child is caring for themselves also. Mm-hmm. And I think for parents that oftentimes that's not the first thing they think of. They are taking care of everyone else, but really helping people know that that's how you take care of your child and take care of your family and take care of your marriage is by taking time to take care of you as well. Yeah. I think about that saying, if you can't pour out from an empty cup. So if your cup is empty, you know, how can you possibly fill your child's or your other family members or, you know, whatever it is. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that we're so passionate about with the Four Spence Fund um, and in counseling too, is that we want to see your family unit stay together. We want to see the siblings thrive, the siblings. Mm -hmm. We want to see marriages stay intact. We want to see marriages not only stay intact, but we want to see them do well. We want them to, we want to see them. And unfortunately we, we see, both ways. Um, I'll never forget mm-hmm. when Forrest died, we, we we literally had people say to us, do you know the statistics on divorces after a child dies? It's like, why would you say that yeah. to us? Like, why, why would right. you? And right. like, yes, we do know. We do know what the statistics, yeah. we've seen it. Right. And we're going to fight for that. But it was a mm-hmm. fight. We had to mm-hmm. say to each other, you're going to grieve one way, I'm going to grieve another and they're going to look nothing alike and that's okay. And then that was a continual reminder, especially those first six months to a year of, okay, I feel like I can't get off the floor from crying. I'm not functioning. And he's at work. He's literally working in the same hospital our son died in. Why is he doing so much better than me? But unbeknownst, he was really trying to protect me and not show me how sad he was and not show me how much he was struggling. And so we had to be really open and honest with with each other about that. And 
that took a real commitment to one another and seeing each other in that and being honest with each other about our feelings and our thoughts and how things are going. Um, and also, you know, knowing that sometimes I'd be okay and he wouldn't and vice versa. And when we both weren't okay, we had to make sure that we are seeking other places to get poured into from because you can't pour from them either. So, um, you know, another thing I think we often challenge families um, when I'm meeting with them, especially in the hospital and they've gotten bad news, I will often look at someone. And unfortunately, with COVID right now, things have obviously been different. But pre-COVID, I would often look at someone else that was in the room and I would speak directly to them and say, I'm afraid they may not remember me or remember the words I'm saying. So I'm going to say to you, here's my card. Remember me. Remember that I can help them and I would love to provide counseling for them. And so will you help them remember me? Will you reach out Mm -hmm. and say, hey, somebody, I have their card. Somebody came in in those last terrible days and said, I know you can't think of this right now, but I want to be that for you. Because I feel like sometimes in it, it just becomes where they can't, they can't even, oh, yeah. they can't see yeah. the light at all. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I encourage that for anybody that's listening that isn't in the journey themselves, but knows someone in the journey, knows someone who has lost a loved one, has gotten bad news, or is aware of something that they would remember mm-hmm. to encourage them to not push them, to not make them, but to encourage them, you know, I listened to this podcast and heard some great things Mm -hmm. about counseling, or I heard, you know, the executive director of the Good Grief Center, or, you know, I looked up some different things and just, you know, maybe let's Mm -hmm. talk about it. Because sometimes Mm -hmm. when the family, the closest people into it, it's hard for them to be able to see that. Don't you believe that too? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially when you're in that, uh, just survival mode, you know, mm-hmm. there's just, you really, um, are only focused on your basic needs at that point because it's just too overwhelming. And, and I'll also say that one of our biggest goals is family communication too, as you were mentioning, um, we really believe in, uh, working with the family as a whole. So for example, if a family of four comes here for counseling, they're going to be assigned each to a different therapist, but we're also going to encourage, um, you know, some, some family communication, whether that's either through a joint session with all of us or therapeutic assignments outside of the individual counseling, because we don't want people to start to see, well, my grief is private and um, I need to keep it isolated to myself, you know, especially within a family. We want them to share that with each other, because, again, we're talking that about grief that will be carried into the future um, and that it's not just something, you know, that's going to be dealt with now. So again, working with that family as a whole is so, so important to us and, and helping them learn the different ways they grieve, um, finding, you know, the commonalities in their grief, but also the ways that are so different and not judging them for that, uh, but sort of starting to understand, okay, that's what your grief looks like, even though that is so foreign to me. Um, and really helping them um, heal as that family unit. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. And just being able to, like you said, I think communication, working through it yeah. um, and getting, getting. you know, I, I always worry a lot too about siblings and 
making sure that they are not forgotten in the grief process, that they too are being able to process their grief. They're being able to, you know, also know that what they're feeling. And so I think sometimes the, the children, the siblings, um, or the children can get to where they, they maybe are scared to say it because of, they already see how sad mom or dad is. They already see how sad Mm -hmm. they are. You know, if, if mom and dad lost their own mom and dad, maybe they don't want to say how much they Mm -hmm. miss their grandma or grandpa or, or, you know, their own Mm -hmm. siblings. So I think that's beautiful that y'all are able to do that. What do you feel like are some of the biggest challenges you face in counseling? So I think um, as an agency, some of our biggest challenging challenges are just, um, you know, fundraising, um, just because our services are free of charge. That's kind of one of our uh, just things that we're always working on, you know, securing our endowment so that our services are here long after we are not. Um, I think if you're asking in terms of um, individual counseling, um, it's probably um, just finding that balance for for people to help them um, see that the road, their grief journey is theirs. And, you know, sometimes it can be longer uh, or the intensity can be longer than they want or they feel and really helping people see the value in slowing down with their grief um, and not rushing it, I think sometimes is, is a challenge just because it's painful and people want to feel better. And so, um, you know, helping them find that, that place of hope in their own grief journey um, is, is not something necessarily that I struggle with, but it's just so different for everyone. And I guess where the challenge comes in is you can't do it for someone, you know, I can't, I can't drag someone to be where I want them to be. I can't force them. Um, But what I can do is continue to walk with them. And that's what I assure them each session. When I see a client, I will continue to walk this with you. We, we can do this. This is where we are today, today. And we don't have to think about where we're going to be in six months. We just think about this is where we are today and you're not alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What a beautiful thing. And, and, you know, I think this would probably be a hard one to answer, but mm-hmm. how do you measure success within the role of that for y'all? How would you say, you know, this is what's happening is successful or, or a win, a, you know, we're, we're going in the correct way. How do you kind of measure that? Well, I could bore you with statistics from a, a study with the University of Memphis we just uh, wrapped up, and it's we've got some great statistics, but I'll tell you where I see success is through our Camp Good Grief programs when, over the years, our campers have become old enough to come back and volunteer. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many children that maybe were campers when they were six or seven but they knew when they became a teenager that they could come back and talk to me. And, you know, we, we have an agreement that we fill out and we work on if they're um, continuing to work on their grief daily, if they're making smart choices in life and they're at a point that allows them to be a role model to others, then they can come and be a junior volunteer for future campers. Um, I also reserve the right that if, you know, maybe they're not taking care of their grief or they're not making smart choices that, that I have the, the ability to bring that up and talk to them about, you know, 
this is what they need to be doing. And we've had probably close to 50 now, camp, maybe more than that, uh, campers come back. And and I've had kids, I call them kids, but a lot of times they're in their 20s, um, who move away, whether it's for college or a job, but they come back to town twice a year to volunteer at Camp Good Grief. And when you see those kids who are now young adults doing that, um, you know, making plans, sticking to their schedule, buying plane tickets, buying train tickets, all of those things and coming back, that has just, that's probably been one of the most powerful things for me personally to see. And then to watch them mentor these younger children. And really, I mean, they're giving them like the most concrete example of hope you can get um, because they're honest. You know, I, I always address it. You know, if you're a former camper, stand up and the kids look at them. I mean, literally like they are rock stars. And I've had, I've had younger kids say, I'm going to come back and do what they're doing. And, and it's hope. That's what it is. It's giving them hope that, okay, if you were younger and your sister died and you are now in a place where you can talk about her and laugh and you're helping me, that gives me hope to know that I can do that too. And that mm-hmm. it, there is nothing more powerful than watching that happen. Yeah. And that's such a testimony of you and your team and the work that y'all are doing, that you've given them the hope and the ability and to be able to even process and then put back to say the things that they learned and to show. I think that's such a testimony of what your team is doing for them. And um, I think just like you said, that that's got to be a huge win in your book of the difference that you and your team are making on these children's lives. And as I've said before, you know, I've, I've had lots of families that I've come in contact through the years that have worked through your center and have been richly blessed. And um, I wish I, I tell people often, I, I wish that we had never had to met, meet because that would mean that my son is alive and their child is also alive or their child wasn't sick, but that's the journey that we are put on. And there was a reason for that. And there's a reason for what you and your team are doing and the difference mm-hmm. um, that y'all are making in our community and at large. So thank you from all of us at the Four Spence Fund for everything that y'all do and how well you love the families that are hurting mm-hmm. and how love you, how much you love them and point them to, um, you know, making the strides and doing the things, the work, doing the work, because it is so much work. Mm-hmm. But as someone that's mm-hmm. been on this journey for 14 years, it's worth it. It's worth yeah. the work and um, it, it's worth it to be able to say, I, I walked a road that I never hoped to walk and it was the hardest mm-hmm. road I ever, ever walked. And um, I'm better because of it. And I'm different. I'm very different than I was mm-hmm. September 9th of 2007 versus who I am today. And yeah. so much of that is because of the grief. So um, we just wanted to say thank you for everything you do. And um, thank thanks you. for being with us today. Absolutely. We're honored to do this work. I have an incredible team. Um, I tell people all the time how wonderful they are to work with, but also I've brought my own family here and handed them over to my colleagues. And it's so as a personal um, note, I know uh, what that's like and to to need these services, but also to feel so grateful to have such wonderful people. Um, And so just thank you. Thank you for what you do for families. I'm so glad that we can work together 
And, um, you know, we're here that we're here for our community and um, all anyone ever has to do is just call. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Angela. We appreciate your help. And uh, thanks for sharing your passion and um, what you do with us at the Good Grief Center. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. We hope that this podcast is a resource for you and a source of support. Whether you are facing illness in your own family or want to walk beside other families dealing with childhood illness, we want the stories, wisdom, and knowledge shared to give you hope. Episodes will be released bi-weekly, so be sure to subscribe today.